every one of us to consider your life. In the last 72 hours, what have you done for the Lord? In the last 72 hours, how are you a great witness for God? In the last 72 hours, with what you've done, did it honor and glorify God? Think about those things. And if there's a, no, it didn't, then maybe it's a time today that we get right with God. The greatest commandment is to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. In today's message, Pastor Mark challenges us to examine the past 72 hours by asking questions to give us a true spiritual snapshot of our devotion to God. Questions like, did we fully engage in our job knowing that whatever we did, we did for Christ? Did we do our best to teach our children God's ways with patience, kindness, and self-control? Are we praying? And do we have an active, thriving devotional life? Pastor Mark teaches us that Jesus wants our very best, and our very best is what he deserves, considering all Christ did to love and save us. Well, let's join Pastor Mark with today's edition of Come Alive from the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 4. The head pastor of that church didn't want to deal with it because he was being moved to a bigger church. He was getting a promotion, so to speak. And I remember as that spoke to me, I was like, Lord God, I never, ever want to put money or position or any of that stuff above somebody that has had something bad happen to them. To care more for those things than for people. And so here these priests have forsaken the Lord by doing some of the same things. Molesting women at the temple, having sex and stealing meat and taking more than their portions and just blatantly ignoring what God had told them to do. The two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were with the Ark of the Covenant of God. They were with the Ark of the Covenant of God. So God had commanded the Ark to be carried and cared for by the priests, these filthy lucres, so to speak. They did the right thing in having priests to carry the Ark, but they were doing a wrong thing. They were doing a wrong thing. Even if they did it in a right way, he would have to do it for his honor's sake. You know, those priests would have to do it for the honor and the sake of God. And they were doing it to honor themselves, to save themselves. What do we do? What do we do to honor ourselves in Christian service, so to speak? You know, it's, Do we want people to see us serving and think we're, oh, look at that guy. He's a great servant. Or look at that gal. She, Man, she's really there. She's serving the Lord. Do we we like those praises? I mean, everybody likes the pat on the back. It's important. But when we can't give it props to God, then we've got a huge problem. Look at verse 5. Verse 5 says, And when the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, 
All Israel shouted so loudly that the earth shook. Israel's confidence is in what? The ark. The ark. The ark enters and and the earth shakes. Someone passing by Israel's camp would be like, man, dude, that's an awesome church service that's going on over there. Certainly, many would think they were really trusting in God if you just walked by on the outside. But for all appearances, it was really nothing. It was just for, hey, we're excited that the ark is here. All their noise and excitement meant nothing because it wasn't grounded in God's truth. God wasn't there. The Israelites probably felt they were better than the Philistines because the Philistines were pagan, pagan worshiping idols. Anybody ever been there thinking you're better than somebody else because, hey man, my church teaches expositionally and your church is only topical or whatever? You know, it's it, we got to be careful. Or, hey man, you know, I go to two services a week now that we have two services plus a you know every other saturday bible study so you know i'm and, and you go how off every other sunday man dude you're you're not spiritual at all i got it going on my bible's 40 pounds and, and yours is only man it's a little one you need a magnifying glass for that that couldn't be of the lord but there's all these weird little things that we as christians do and the only reason i can pick on them it's because I'm guilty of some of those things. I'm guilty. One of the big things I'm guilty of all the time is, how could somebody not want to be a pastor? And then in the midst of hearing some of the stories I heard this weekend, I'm like, dear God, why did you make me a pastor? Why, Lord? Why do I have to hear this? It hurts. It's hard. But we like it when it's good. We like it when it's easy. We like it when we get to sleep in and do spiritual things that people see. We like those things. But for all appearances, it was really nothing. Just a bunch of noise. They felt better than the Philistines. We've got this. And they've got idols. Idols. That's all they got. Yet the Israelites were thinking and acting just like their enemies. Just like the pagans, thinking they could manipulate God and force him into doing what they wanted him to do. Had they humbled themselves and prayed devoutly and fervently for success, they would have been heard and saved, I think. Their shouting proved both to be vanity and just irreligion. Spurgeon said, Now when you're worshiping God, shout if you're filled with the holy gladness. If the shout comes from your heart, I would not ask you to restrain it. God forbid that we should judge any man's worship. But do not be so foolish as to suppose that because there is a loud noise, there must also be faith. Faith is still water, and it flows deep. True faith in God may express itself with leaping and with shouting, and it is a happy thing when it does. But it can also sit still before the Lord, and that, perhaps, is a happier thing still. So, you could jump and shout and do all this stuff, And it may be real, and that's cool, but sometimes just sitting still and listening, well, that's the better thing, to hear God. Look at verse 6. It says, Now when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, What does the sound of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews mean? 
They understood that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp. So the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God has come into the camp. And they said, Woe to us, for such a thing has never happened before. Woe to us, who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. Be strong and conduct yourselves like men, you Philistines, that you do not become servants of the Hebrews as they have been to you. Conduct yourselves like men and fight. So here the Philistines fear the Ark of the Covenant. Pretty crazy that the pagans fear it a little more than the Israelites fear it. It's kind of like the the opposite end of the coin. We should actually compliment those Philistines on their understanding of the Ark of the Covenant. They knew that it represented the presence of God. They knew that they could be in trouble if the one true God was in that camp. And so they get a pep talk as well. So they do have some knowledge of Israel's history. Going back to Egypt and Assyria. They knew it was unusual, even unheard of, for the Israelites to bring that ark into the battle. They're like, wow, you know, kind of this is rough. So for such a thing has never happened before, lets us know that it was a little bit unusual. That phrase right there. They knew the God of Israel had defeated the Egyptians. Even though they didn't understand very much about God, the Philistines recognized how awesome God truly is. They understood his superiority of the God of Israel. They, they knew. The land knew what God could do. And so they will not submit to God, but simply determine to fight against him all the more. They're going to give it their best. They're going to put their head down when they wake up in the morning. They're going to run headlong into battle to defeat the Israelites. And so if they really believed their gods were greater than the God of Israel, they shouldn't have been worried at all. They wouldn't have had any concern, but they knew. They knew that their gods weren't. And if they believed the God of Israel to be greater than their gods, they should have submitted to him. And so what has happened is they probably got news of what was going on there's probably some bad witness going on because we read in the chapter before that the people just kind of were not into sacrificing to the Lord, that they'd lost that love. And so what is it when we go out and, and people no longer have that fear, that respect of the Lord when a Christian walks up to them? Well, because there's been so many bad witnesses I would ask each and every one of us to consider your life. In the last 72 hours, what have you done for the Lord? In the last 72 hours, how are you a great witness for God? In the last 72 hours, with what you've done, did it honor and glorify God? Think about those things. And if there's a, no, it didn't, then maybe it's a time today that we get right with God. We, like them, often know that God is greater and deserves our submission, yet we often resist God. And, well, as well as instead of submitting to him, knowledge wasn't their problem. They knew about the God. We know. I mean, we were talking this morning in the leadership meeting. A lot of times, one of the, one of the guys said, you know, sometimes I spend so much time reading and learning about God, but I don't go out and do anything with what I've learned about God and what his word says. 
And we're all guilty of that. Knowledge wasn't their problem. Submission was. And I think that's the problem of the church today. That's the problem of a lot of Christians today, is submission. It says, be strong and conduct yourselves like men, you Philistines. The presence of the ark has not made the Philistines feel like giving up. It, it didn't make them feel like they should surrender. When a Christian walks up to a non-believer and wants to witness to him, there should be some submission starting to happen with that non-believer. But if that non-believer has, and as I've met many of them that have been hurt and injured by the church because they watch and they see what goes on and what takes place, uh, there's no submission. Well, why should I? Because the last time I did, this happened. I was only hurt. I was only let down. And so these guys, instead, it's made them feel that they must fight all the harder. Instead of giving up when things look bad, you know what? These guys didn't give up. Godless Philistines can teach us something. Christians need to show more of this courage that these Philistines had than always running instead of giving up when things look bad. Why not trust in the Lord and fight all the harder? Isn't that what the Bible tells us to do is we're to put on the armor of God? Why would it tell us to wear armor? If we weren't going to fight, why wouldn't it say, put on the best couch you could possibly find and get the coolest remote control and be comfortable in the Lord? I think that's what we'd rather it say. To put on armor requires some effort. It also requires some practice. And then you're wearing armor to go to battle. I mean... What soldier would walk in and, I mean, would you believe him if he was a great fighter, if he had no dents in his armor and his sword wasn't rusty or blood-stained? You'd be like, man, that guy probably just stands back and watches. He doesn't do anything. And there's a lot of Christians who our armor's polished and shiny. We like it to look good. We don't want a dent in it. Think about these Philistines. They weren't concerned if they would upset someone or make them a little uncomfortable. Yet we sometimes are. We want to just seem nice, but we're to wear that armor. It's a battle. So why not dedicate yourself in submission to God all the more? Why not decide, God, will you give me the strength? Because I can't do it on my own. And why not, while we're at it, just not give up when life gets tough? When those battles happen and think, oh, well, obviously the Lord doesn't want me in this because he would make it easy if he wanted me to do this. Just because a door is open doesn't mean it's going to be easy to walk through the door. Courage and persistence wins many a victory, but even some victories are won for evil. Because of courage and persistence. And so, shouldn't we show the same kind of courage and persistence for the Lord as Christians? I think we should. Look at verse 10. And so the Philistines fought Israel, and Israel was defeated. And every man fled to his tent. And there was a very great slaughter. And there fell of Israel 
30,000 foot soldiers. Well, right there, if you think about that, we know the ark didn't work. 30,000 people are lost. Before it was 4,000. Now it's a total of 34,000. It was a great slaughter. Israel was defeated. Look at verse 11. Also the ark of God was captured and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. The prophecy from a few weeks ago came true. Remember we read about that? And then Samuel last week told Eli, hey, your sons are going to die. There won't be. He's basically cutting off that branch. And so here, the three reasons for the great defeat. First, the Philistines fought with the courage of the underdogs. Second, the Israelites felt that the battle would be easy with the Ark of the Covenant there. And they didn't try as hard. I think sometimes we as Christians think, oh, we're Christians, God's with us, so I'm not going to try as hard. And so we do things a little less, and we wonder why. People are like, wow, really? Sometimes it's like some of those Christian movies. I love the thought behind them, and I love the storylines. But really, some of those things, you look at them, you're like, man, this at best is a B movie. We don't go all out. Oh, the Lord will take care of the rest. And I believe that to be true in a lot of stuff. But that doesn't mean we don't give our best. That we don't give our very best. It's kind of like when, you know, I I was at a summer camp one time in in New Mexico. And I noticed that all these kids, you know, the treats and the drinks that they got were just like off names. Like generic brand cookies and generic brand drinks that weren't very good. And I remember thinking... Seriously? If we're to give our best to the Lord, is this the best? I mean, I knew what that church had. I knew what that church had to give for that summer camp, but I mean, it wasn't even real Oreos. Most of the kids didn't even like them. They wound up in the dirt. The ants didn't even enjoy them as much as they should have. And it was really sad because we did that in the name of Jesus Christ. We're going to give you generic stuff. And I remember when I sat down to eat dinner the first night, I was like, these poor kids have got to eat this for 10 days. And no wonder some of those kids come back sick and messed up from camp. We don't give our best. And so I remember thinking, you know what, when we do stuff, let's give our best. We went back and we talked about at Calvary Albuquerque and and we talked about what do we need to do for our youth and how we make it better. So I was like, man, let's just, and and everybody, you know, kind of giggled, but one person caught the, the message was, let's buy real Oreos. And he was like, yeah, let's do the real thing. Let's, let's do it the real way. I mean, if we're going to do it, let's go all out and do it. And so Sometimes we we don't. We don't try that hard. We give a little, and then we, well, that's what the Lord wants. No, He wants our best. He wants our very best. And, And if that generic brand is the very best, then it'll be awesome. It really will be awesome. But if we don't give our best and we stop halfway, it's not going to work. Because there's nothing wrong with the generic stuff. It's just those kids knew. Those were the kids that never ate generic stuff. 
those kids had a taste for the real thing. And sometimes I think as Christians, we need to understand that, that we want to give those other people, when we share the gospel, the taste of the real thing, not the taste of us. Let me show you how I can present it the best way. Sometimes that's follow-up and calling and caring and saying, hey, bro, the Lord's put you on my heart, and I just want to pray with you. Other times that's, hey, I'm going to sit here with you forever, for however long it takes and present the gospel to you, and then I'm going to ask you for a decision because I don't want you just to feel like you've been cleaned up a little bit because I presented something to you that the Bible's not a cleaning agent. The Bible is something that saves souls. The Word of God doesn't return void. But yet sometimes we only give them a certain amount and we get scared to take them the rest of the way. And it's like, man, here's the truth. Why, why do that? There are other churches out there that do it. Finally, the third thing, God didn't bless Israel's superstitious belief in the power of the ark. He didn't bless it because the power was in God. It was in himself. We often make that same mistake that Israel, the Israelites did. We believe that if God is with us, we don't need to try so hard. We think that if God is on our side, the work would be easy. That's not true at all. That's not true at all. As it turned out, God didn't feel obligated to bless the Israelites just because they took the ark in the battle. You know what's crazy about this is if you continue to read, if you do some homework today and you read on a little bit, you'll see that God doesn't leave himself without a witness. God does some amazing stuff in this story, but he didn't need the Israelites to do it. His ark is left all by itself with an idol. And every time they walk in, they find that idol bent over, bowing to the ark of God. God can do some amazing stuff. He doesn't need us. And that's what the problem is here is the Israelites thought that, hey, you know what, we're going to force God into something because we're his special people. And when we start to think that we have something better, we got something great. We got God. But when we start to think that we're it because of that, that's not true at all. They took that ark into battle. He doesn't owe you and I anything. We owe him. And again, we can never repay him. You can try, but every day you wake up, you would owe him again. And it would be foolish to even try. So we wouldn't allow, God wouldn't allow his arm to be twisted by the superstitions of the Israelites. God is a person, not a genie, to be summoned at the will of man. You can't manipulate God. People have tried. Thank you for tuning in again today to Come Alive. Pastor Mark will have much more to teach us from this study of 1 Samuel when you join us next time. If you'd like to hear more messages from Pastor Mark, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast. Just search for Come Alive in your app store or on iTunes. Before our time is through with you today, though, Tracy would like to tell you how you can be a part of the ministry of Come Alive. Come Alive and radio programs like it are powerful tools that God is using to advance His gospel message here on earth. And we know that God is blessing many through the ministry of this broadcast. We want to make sure we keep God at the center of what we're doing, and that's where you come in. Would you keep Come Alive, Pastor Mark, and those who have heard this program today in your prayers? Your intercession on our behalf is greatly appreciated. 
Thanks, Tracy. Another way you can be involved is through financial support. Here at Come Alive, we rely on the kindness of donations to be able to provide you with quality produced programs. We'd like to ask you to prayerfully consider donating and want you to know that any amount is useful and greatly appreciated. Find out more at comealiveradio.com or you can text a donation to Calvary Katy at 77977. That's 77977. Thank you for bringing this matter before the Lord and thank you for being a part of our listening audience today on Come Alive.